Arapods. I'm Catherine and I'm here again with my colleague Nissa. Hello. So look, today, Nissa, we're going to be talking about identity. So we've been reading some books on the topic. And of course, our uh, podcast is about uh, reading and literature and libraries and really everything in between. But um, as I said, today, we're just going to focus on these books we've been reading. Identity is such a vexed issue, isn't it? It's such a mysterious um, you know, way of being. You know, having read these books has been quite fascinating. And I've actually read the Stan Grant book. And Lisa, tell me what you've been reading. Sure. So the books we're going to look at, the first one, of course, was going to be On Identity by Stan Grant. Uh, that was published by Melbourne University Press in May of this year. Um The book is part of the On series published by the Melbourne University Press. They're quite small, palm-sized almost books. Yeah. Yeah, They're Um, not ideal, really, for the library shelf, but we persist in buying them because the content is so good. Exactly. And there have been so many um, interesting ones published over the years. There's Sarah Sarah Hanson Young's On Guard, which is about sexism, Jermaine Greer's On Rage, and then another one on rape, Uh, Don Watson on Indignation, um, there's been Natasha Scott Stott Despoyers on Violence, Blanche Deplegé's Deplegé's On Lust and Longing, um, and so forth. So lots and lots and lots have been published yeah. over the years. I think there are a number of them that come out every year, and Catherine is going to focus on the one on Identity by Stan yeah. Grant. Um, the other book we're going to look at is called Arab Australian Other Stories on Race and Identity, and that is an anthology um, edited by... Randa Abdul Fattah and Sarah Saleh. That was published by Picador, which is an imprint of Pan Macmillan, in May 2019, so a few months ago. So those are the two books we're going to have a look at, but we'll start with Catherine's book, little book, on identity. And I think perhaps you're also going to possibly after that mention something about another one of the on books you're reading, mm-hmm. On Freedom by Tori Shepherd. So... Get away, Catherine. Oh, thanks, Nissa. Well, um, look, uh, these are, I suppose, really, I mean, they're books, but they're really essays. And, you know, notable uh, writers and journalists are, um, you know, invited to, you know, write on a topic. So, as Nissa was saying, they cover just about every human emotion and every state of being that we can possibly um, experience as human beings. But identity is actually a really interesting one and Stan Grant is a self-identified Indigenous person. He's a very successful journalist and writer and I guess he didn't really have to sort of focus his identity um, as an Indigenous person because, you know, for a start, I know he uh, his partner is um, uh, not Indigenous, and uh, you know, and obviously, so you know, his children would be you know part white, and in fact, he is. He he makes um, when he tells his story, it's really really quite sort of moving and emotional. His grandmother was a uh, country girl of Irish heritage, and uh, she married a local young man, full-blooded Indigenous uh, man who lived down by the river and she was a town girl and um, that uh, union, that relationship lasted a long time. There were 13 children in that family and interestingly enough um, it resonates a lot with Stan Grant and he, he really refers to 
his indigenous family, I suppose, in the, he, he identifies with his indigenous family. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So what is identity? Because I know Stan Grant, when he's um, posing his argument, he talks about the fact that 99% of our DNA is more than 99% is the same actually. So it really means that there is very little difference between all human beings. So then why do human beings feel that identity is such an important part of who they are? And I know having read, you know, some of the other books that, uh, in fact, the one that you're going to be talking about, Nissa, you can be just a little bit of something, you know, a little bit uh, um, indigenous. You can be just a little, you know, half, say, Palestinian. Um, and that's the part of you that you really identify with. It's um, just a really interesting, or like almost a biological imperative. Because I know Freud did say that biology is your fate. And, you know, why Why then do people just feel that real longing to uh, belong and identify with a certain group or tribe or sect? And, and why do they make that decision, you know, if they're, you know, half of something and half of the other? It's a fluid thing, isn't it? Hmm. So what did you think of his writing style? Was it very engaging? or just He's a very really good journalist. Win? Yeah, he's a great journalist. Um, it's very erudite because he makes lots of references to um, the writings of many other people, um, you know, the good and the great. He's, he certainly has good references in yeah. his book. It's not name-dropping, um, is it, would you say? It's not name-dropping, but, I mean, he like he refers to Keats. You know, I mean, he's a very educated and urbane man. I mean, uh-huh. he was a CNN you know, journalist for many years. He lived outside of Australia, I think it was, you know, for over 10 years. Um, so, you know, he's, 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 he's refers to James Joyce, for example. You know, he refers to a lot of literary, um, you know, um, masters, I suppose. And how many pages is it? It's only a small book. Um, and I think um, we've got 95 pages. 95 pages yeah. of the book. That's about oh, just a bit over palm size, would you say? It's yeah. a very small volume. So, uh, I would say so. But, I mean, I really like the fact that when he finishes, you know, his sort of closing remarks, like his closing argument is that even though we feel identity very strongly, um, he, I think he has chosen to really, you know, certainly stand up for the people that from his culture, some of the people he comes from anyway, the Indigenous side. But he really makes a point of saying that does not define him as a person. He's so much more than just an Indigenous person. And, I mean, that's, I think, a really um, important, um, you know, sort of stance to take. Yeah. Because, you know, I think people can become quite obsessed with certain aspects of identity and I mean at the end of the day and he's just saying we're 99 point something actually the same yeah sure we have shared sort of memories and backgrounds and you know like even sensory things you know the sense of belonging to the country is important for indigenous people but it's important for many many other um, identities yeah what do you think yeah well before we get into the next book on identity uh, just if you wanted to talk a little bit about the other on book you're reading it's not an identity uh, it's called 
on freedom just to highlight the on series that we have in the in the library many different um you know many different books in the series that we hold and we Mm. definitely would recommend people read seriously you can read it in your would you say during lunch that's probably a lunchtime read right yeah look i think you could read this book um say 45 minutes do you yeah. think yeah. so this is the one that Catherine's also looking at is called on freedom uh by tori shepherd what's that about Catherine? so um nissa i've got to admit i haven't quite finished this essay because i have been pretty um busy doing uh, lots of reading and other things at work but um it's really um you know, well-written. Tori Shepard's um, a journalist. So On Freedom is... The, the, well, Annabelle Crabb, this might sort of sum it up. The world is full of comments, pages, showing how hard it is for a woman to say she doesn't want children. So in this thought-provoking book, Tori Shepard does it with clarity and verve. So when I was uh, well, picked this book up, you know, I wasn't too sure, you know, what sort of aspect of freedom you know, this journalist was going to tackle. But in fact, she was talking about, you know, the the free will of um, women in particular, you know, obviously, I mean, obviously men can choose not to have children too. But this is about, I suppose, how there can be, that women can, you know, suffer judgment if they choose not to have women, uh, sorry, not, not to have children. Um, so is Tori Shepherd a female? Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. I was just yeah. going by the, the fact that it may have been a male. Yeah. So, yeah, no, the series, we're just looking at a, a few different ones we've got here. They they come in these, like I said, really small books, lovely colours. Uh, the Stan Grant one is like a nice green and it's got like a quote by Peter Carey on the cover. Uh, the, the one that Catherine's got in her hands, the one she was just talking about is pink with the Annabel Crab uh, quote on its cover. Uh, and so forth they're actually a little like a very cute well I don't want to say cute because that might turn people off but a very attractive looking set of very small books that can be read um you know during your lunch hour um, yeah and look if you really want to sort of um grapple with kind of you know interesting topics that you know can be a bit philosophical um these are a really good starting point Nissa. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, many books that we come across in our job are absolute tomes and like bricks. So I think, you know, this series, I love it. You know, I have read quite a few in the past and I will continue to read them. So little books on big ideas and leading Australian figures writing on some major themes. So that was the On series. The next book we're going to look at is um, Arab, Australian, Other. Uh, stories on race and identity. So that's an anthology um, which was edited by Randa Abdul Fattah and Sarah Saleh. Um, the book, as you can get from the title, is about our Arab Australians um, and how they grapple with concepts around identity. And there have been a lot of contributors um, to this. I can't quite count how many. I should have counted before, but I guess 20, 25. Mm. Um, I would say every young... Um, Arab uh, worth knowing as, out there, yeah. writer, yeah. Anyone who's in the literary scene or an academic, um, yeah, that's right. they've all pretty much contributed. All the all the, the the big names that we're aware of. You've got um, apart from the two mentioned, oh. we've got Ruby Hamad mentioned as well. Michael Mohammed Ahmed as well. I think we reviewed one of his books for. What was that for? Which prize was he shortlisted for? 
Um, you know what? That was was uh, it the Stella? That was um, no, not the Stella, but that was um, one of the bigger prestigious um, Australian. Uh, It'll come to us. Awards. It will come oh, to you us. Oh, guys can let us yeah. know the listeners. Um, so yeah, so you've got Arab Australians represented here. Um, you know, many of them with academic backgrounds. Uh, the religions they represent um, include um, Sunni Muslims, Shia Muslims, Alawite Muslims, Assyrian Orthodox Christians, Catholics, Maronite Christians, and so forth. So you've got the full. Well, well, quite a few um, religious groups that are represented in the Middle East. You've got um, people from those backgrounds here. Um, the setting uh, reflects the background um, or the heritage of these authors. So you've got um, Egypt is a setting, Palestine, uh, Lebanon, um, Turkey, even though Turkey isn't Arab, but you have um, sort of Arabic-speaking groups that might be there. Certainly people, there was one, I think, author who comes from a, um, oh, sorry, a, a Syrian Orthodox, yeah. So there's someone who comes from a Syrian Orthodox background but grew up in Turkey and there was some sort of influence with Arabic there as well, so a very mixed sort of heritage. Uh, um, any, any Kurdish? Uh, not Kurdish, not that uh, I saw. So that's interesting, isn't yeah, it? it is. um, you've also got some of the stories, because these are Arab Australians, you've got stories set in Blacktown, in you know, um, or people that grew up in Parramatta, so, you know, name check there. Uh, oh, yeah, the, off in the West. Yeah, the, noticed. the Inner West as well. Uh, Macquarie Centre gets a name check. Um, there's, uh, they talk about neighbours that are from Iraqi, Syrian, Algerian backgrounds in Australia. So it's it's a very rich tapestry of people from Arab backgrounds living in Australia, people who've either migrated or who were born here. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting book. Um, so the chapters are very short, like up to six pages or so, I would say no more than that, usually. Um, and they're talking about all these different issues, all, all these different themes related to identity. So um, you've got things like family. Family is present throughout most of the stories there. You know, um, you've got... Uh, you know, families meeting for Easter, families meeting for Eve, uh, you know, sisters, brothers, grandparents, cousins overseas, cousins in Australia. Um, a lot of these stories feature family really heavily. Um, and that's one of the really interesting things that um, comes through. Uh, food is such a big deal in all these stories. I was it amazed is. by how many dishes are referenced in these, in these, um, in the different uh contributions by the authors um there was this interesting thing uh one of the authors was talking about i think he grew up in um western sydney and um he's from a lebanese i think he was from a lebanese background lebanese maronite i think background anyway so he you know he talks about when he moved to queensland for a while um you know he sort of missed that convenience of having western sydney restaurants where you could just get middle eastern food like everywhere we are so privileged to have that you could just get any food you want really from around the world in western sydney but when he went up to Rockhampton, you know, it was a bit hard for him to find things like that. Uh, but he does make this interesting discovery where there was, there was this family who, whose grandparents were um, Maronite Christians from Lebanon. And the family had, um, they were no longer practicing that particular faith. Um, they no longer had any understanding of Arabic. But what survived assimilation in Queensland was the food. Uh -huh. So they were cooking their traditional um, I think it was over Easter, possibly, or, or Christmas, but more likely Easter, um, where they were, you know, all these traditional um, Lebanese food that Dishes, they had. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, it was just hummus and um, 
Well, there was all the foods that we're very familiar with and love. Well, there's also there's also a dig at store bought hummus somewhere here, which I felt a bit ashamed of because that's where I get my hummus, you know, from the supermarket. Um, It's good from one of the major ones, but they're like, oh no, 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 the actual one is like you have to get it made at home or from like a particular brand that comes from overseas. So that made me a little bit ashamed of my um, culinary choices for not being quite authentic. Oh, no, it can't be so I think it's quite valid. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so food, family, um, appearance is an issue in terms of identity. So, you know, the whole phrase where, oh, you don't look Arab or you don't look Lebanese, so that being thrown at people. Gosh, do people really say that people, anymore? Yeah, I think it's because... That's outrageous, a lot, isn't it? A lot of people, I think it's not necessarily meant in a, in a in a negative way. It's more the fact that they sort of go, well... It's you, meant as a compliment. You don't look the way... Well, in, in some cases it has come across or meant as a compliment, but the author has taken it in a not... You know, because what is implied? But it's a backhanded compliment because yeah. it's implying that it's not good to look like an Arab, which or is absurd. It's partly that, but it's also because people, their their perception of how people should look or this mm-hmm. ethnicity or this person from this background must look this way when they don't realise that there are... I mean, people have, like, there's a vast spectrum of skin tones within one, you know, location, and I think a lot of people on the outside don't realise that. Um so there's, yeah, so that, that's an issue. You don't, you know, people not looking certain colours and other people commenting on it. Um, you know, people from background, there was this story about a, a young girl who, you know, she wanted to do um, aerobics or something in school. She was from an Arab background. Aerobics for Arabs. So yeah. That one. And she got told off. I mean, she was made fun of by her peers because when she wore something that was backless, she was told, oh, you look like a woolly mammoth. Um, when that sort of was very normal for her background and she didn't realise that was an issue until she was confronted with someone from um you know possibly from a european extraction who weren't quite as hairy commenting on her and making her feel inadequate so you've got things like that um there was this really interesting bit by someone who identifies herself as a black arab um and she said that some arab writers speak seem to speak on behalf of darker minority groups and that's Mm -hmm. a problem which i thought was Polar Abood. Yeah, that was I very I interesting. I mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of that. I'm like, well, that's that's something to think about. Um, and what is actually interesting is that there's in Arab society there's a uh, a status, um, you know, in, in terms of you know when I've read literature, uh, you know, black um, uh, Muslims tend to be uh, can be looked down upon. Well, there was one thing about someone's grandmother who used by to... other Arabs. I mean. Well, yeah, there was some, Muslims, someone's grandmother used to send, I think she sent pots of fairness cream from Syria uh, because she was darker skinned. So, yeah, you've got but that. that's not unusual in all societies, yeah. is it? Yeah, so that's, that sort of plays in over here. Um, there was also the term, the same author um, made an interesting comment where she says the term white privilege actually lets Arabs and other people of colour off the hook. And I'm like, wow, that is that is pretty interesting as well because obviously there are issues between, you know, as you just said, within um, certain races and certain backgrounds themselves. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so that was appearance. Um, what else have you got? You've got the media, um, how the media, you know, conflates... By the perception yeah. of the terrorist. Yeah, so conflating Middle Eastern with Arab, with Muslim, when those three things necessarily aren't the same. You have... Uh, like you said before, the, the Kurds, they're from the Middle East, but they're not, you know, Arabs. You've got, um, you know, people from Lebanon who are consider themselves Arabs, but they're not Muslim and so forth. So you've got a vast variety, but the, the media seems to conflate those things. And 
Um, there was this interesting thing um, where I think an article was published in the Daily Telegraph in 1998. It was called Dial a Gun. And it was about, um, it was about I think these kids made this sort of comment where, oh, yeah, it's easier to buy a, uh, a gun than it is to get a pizza. And the journalists sort of exploited the young the young group's like ghetto gangster fantasies and like took a picture of them making these gang signals but really they copied those from i think hip-hop or sort of gangster rap from the u.s so it didn't really mean anything but that was sort of that was a beat up yeah it was amplified and it sort of fed into that prejudice that exists that was macho posturing and exactly many young men did that exactly um, there's also an interesting thing Ruby Hamad actually said about names. And I, okay, so I've, you know, when you read articles, I've sort of known her as Ruby Hamad. I, I never gave it any thought that she had a different name. Um, but she had this in, so apparently she changed her name by deed poll many years ago. She did. Um, hmm. Her name was Ruba. So she just changed the last bit. But this is one of, one of the things she says, and this is a quote, meeting Anglo after Anglo who seemed to find my name too different or too difficult all two syllables offered and no sooner had the words I'm rubber left my lips than they were modifying it to something familiar something more like them not thinking to ask if it was okay and I found that quite interesting because that's people do that Uh they still do that and they they do do that everywhere and I there are a lot of people I think who would have to um and interestingly that that interesting story that uh, Ruby Hamad tells about denying her her uh you know her identity on a train was actually very interesting to me but I totally got it you know she sort of you know pretended she didn't understand Arabic when a lady asked her something yeah and that's not uncommon in many many cultures where people are trying young people are trying to find their identity particularly if they're part of a diaspora and a few of them actually do say they did something similar where they've denied their identity or concealed it just because they wanted to fit in better Mm. um but only later in life have they come to embrace it a bit more take more pride in it uh well knowing that they'll still face prejudice so it's 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 such an interesting like it's such an interesting mix of you know what identity is for people is it is it food is it language is it religion is it gender is it you know your name is it your appearance it's just um and i i love um what i loved about the book was that it's you've got so many contributors across you know um backgrounds you know originating in the arab world um well the the story by elias uh jashan uh coming out palestinian just quick very briefly nissa um was interesting to me because this young man um came out as being gay but the story is really about him coming out as admitting that he's half Palestinian but it's a very important half and you know one interesting thing is that he says now I mean he's successful he's married to a guy he lives in London but he takes every opportunity to wear the uh, traditional Palestinian scarf which is called a kafia is that right yeah on every occasion to emphasize his Palestinian identity. Is that the first chapter just out of interest? I, I've forgotten. Yeah, that's the first. Because interesting enough, the the last one, oh, I think it's it's close to the first one. We might have the Ruby Hamad one before that, but it it's also... The second one. Yeah, the, the very last one is also, um, you know, a Palestinian, well, set in Palestine, and that's from... Um, I think that's Ramla Abdul Fatah, and she talks about um, you know the Nakba and going there to you know Palestine to find her grandfather's grave, and this whole concept. I think she talks about it. One of the authors, one of the other ones, where they talk about how um, 
other writers where they talk about identity is not just about your connection identity and like the whole complications of being in the diaspora that's not just about losing your connection to the living it's about losing your connection to the dead um so yes. yeah there's, there's such just... an important um aspect to identity i think because many of the authors mention just that yeah in those stories Wow, so fascinating identity. Who are we really? Yeah. And look, it's it's a very readable book as well. It's another I mean, we've done quite a few readable books recently. I think this oh, one for sure is it's absolutely fascinating and so well written. Yeah, and like Such I said, a, a variety of talent. Yeah, and you've you know, we've got some poetry in here, we've got obviously mostly prose. Um, and most of these most of the contributions are no more than like six, seven eight pages tops um so it's an easy one to dip in and out of um and we definitely recommend it um the 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 editors they're both academics well at least Randa Abdul-Fadeh she's a Palestinian Egyptian writer and her her debut novel was um Does My Head Look Big in This young adult novel yeah and that was published in 2005 I think she's written 11 novels which have trained yeah and in fact she's been here at City of Paramount Library on several occasions talking about her various books yeah and I think 11 novels so far and they've been translated into over 20 countries um and her co-editor Sarah Saleh is a poet a human rights activist and she's completing her Juris Doctor at UNSW right now so a very interesting contribution by well compilation by both of them stunning Um, talent in the in these books yeah very thought-provoking yeah, so Nissa, that was great. So um, look, we're going to be back uh, shortly, and Nissa, you can tell people where to find us. Yeah, so if you'd like to find out more about Parapods, uh, you can find us on our blog, Parareads, uh, which is available on our website. You can download us directly through um, iTunes podcasts, looking for Parapods or Podbean, the app. We'll talk to you next time. Yeah, great. Bye. Material presented in this podcast is for general information only. Any opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the guest speaker who do not necessarily represent the views of City of Parramatta Council. City of Parramatta Council is not responsible for any injury, loss or damage which you may directly or indirectly suffer in connection with this podcast.